Good to be here again. Good to see you. Amen. Let's pray tonight as we open up the Word. Father, we just thank you for a tremendous, tremendous opportunity, Lord just God, just to come. Uh, Lord God, before you, Lord God, with thanksgiving and praise, Lord God, in your courts in that way, Lord God, just to lift you up, Lord God. And Father, the, just the greatness, Lord God, of our God. And Father, we thank you that it's your desire, Lord God, uh, that you demonstrated it, Lord God, on the cross of Calvary, to have fellowship and a relationship with us. And Father, we thank you, Lord God, as a result of that, you've opened up your word. That word became flesh, and he's dwelt among us, Lord God. So we just thank you, Lord God, for the presence of your word, the presence of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. We thank you that he leads and guides us, Lord God, into all truth. So tonight, Lord God, we just make ourselves available to you through the voice of the Holy Spirit. Father, we confess that in and of ourselves, Lord God, we, we do not have the capacity, Lord God, to know you or to make you known. So Father, we ask, Lord God, for that paraclete, Lord God, for that helper, Lord God, that one to come into this place tonight, Lord God, and to give us the, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, Lord God, to open our hearts and minds, Lord God, to receive of your truth, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can you bring something out of this mic? You see, you hear that? Give me a high or bring down the low or something like that. You have to make it just a, ah, then sings my soul. <laughs> Amen. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe it'll just help the folks on Facebook. Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, turn to the Epistle of Galatians, chapter five, chapter five, and we're gonna we're gonna begin with verse sixteen. You know, as I think about this, it, you know, it's 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 very um, what's a good way to put it? It's it's a blessing, Amen, to study the Word. Some of you guys have been seriously involved in our uh, our ninety day Bible challenge. We have many people online that are <laughs> some people that yeah they're seriously involved. You know, it's, it's one of those, what is that? 120-day challenge, amen. The good news is we just keep starting over and over again, amen. Even if you finish up. Uh, but you know, it's interesting as you get into the Word, there's a, just a deep challenge that comes into you. And it's, and it's interesting, certain portions of Scripture, you know, you think about what we're talking about here in Galatians chapter 5, and you know, uh, verses uh, 16 to 17, the relationship to the fruit of the Spirit is, you know, some of those seem like they would be, Ones that you kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. But man, some of those are the most challenging. And the reason that they're challenging, you know, one of the, the, the passages that is uh, very well traveled with street preachers is right there in Matthew chapter 7. Whether it's, you know, the, the whole judge not uh, that, that it opens with, or, or you know a tree by the fruit that it bears, or, or not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, or, or even some of our spirit-filled charismatic churches that, you know, we said that we cast out devils and done miracles and all these mighty works to depart from me, I never knew you. So that, that chapter is just loaded. But when you hit that one portion that I just mentioned about, by their fruits, you shall know them. And you, you ask yourself the question as you're studying the Word of God, what is the fruit that you're known by? What is that thing that defines you? What is the thing, you know, you see that word known, and, it, and Jesus told those that said that I do these wonderful things. He said, depart from me, I never knew you. And it's the same word that's used right there in Matthew 1.25, speaking about the betrothal of Joseph unto Mary, and it says that he did not know her. In other words, he had extended an interest in her, he had a betrothal to her, or he said, you know, it's kind of like some of you guys that are engaged to be married. You're gonna get married, and, and you have that relationship, but it's never been consummated yet. And so we're going to know whether our relationship with Jesus has really been consummated by the fruit that comes out of it. You know, one of my precious little children are back here to my left. My daughter Kayla is back here. You know, there, there's proof of our intimacy between Millie and I for 31 years. Is our 26-year-old daughter that's right here. She's the proof and the fruit of that. You know, you could take a scraping from her mouth and send it off to have a check for DNA. You're going to find out 
that she contains the genetic blueprint or a genetic code that has been derived from the compilation of my relationship with her mother. That's the proof of it. Folks, it's going to be the same way in our relationship with God is that there's going to be a proof of the intimacy with Him. And so when we study the fruits of the Spirit, you need to begin to look at those things from, okay, I want to see just how intimate that I am with Him. Because the deeper my intimacy, the more verifiable fruit that's going to be uh, demonstrated in my heart and life. You know, you've seen people that say, listen, I'm a Christian. You say, well, listen, you know, you've heard the adage that if you were uh, accused of following Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you in a court of law? Or it would just be strictly circumstantial? You know, I want there to be more than circumstantial evidence. I want there to be multiple accounts of eyewitness proof and testimony that I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I always think about 1 John, where John the Beloved, the same one that wrote that Gospel of John and John the Revelator, he said, you know what? These are the things that we testify of. He said, the things that we've heard, the things that we've seen, and the things that we've held with our own hands. We have an eyewitness, verifiable account of who Christ Jesus has been to us. And folks, that's what the, the fruit of the Spirit brings into every one of the hearts and lives of those that have consummated their relationship with Him. And it moves beyond a lip service, and it becomes something that's actually reproducing something that's sustainable over time. So if you have your Bible tonight... Uh, verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5 says this, So I say unto you, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, that you won't be doing what your sinful nature, 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 I'm speaking in Spanish tonight, for my Hispanic audience tonight, amen? Or in other words, you will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. And so if you walk in the Spirit, you're not going to see the fulfillment, or you're not going to see the consummation. You know what's interesting about that is, it says if you walk in the Spirit, it didn't say that you're not going to face temptation. Do you notice that? It didn't say that you're not going to battle with issues of lust. And I'm not just talking about lust in the sense of sensu sexuality or sensuality. I'm talking about lusting over anything, having a, a strong desire from something that, that is uh, inordinate in regards to your relationship with God. But he said, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill those things. In other words, those things may come at you. Those things may saunter by, like Hagar coming by the, the, the tent of Abraham to, to produce an Ishmael. You may be seduced, you may be drawn in by those things, but you'll be able to say no to them. So if I walk in the Spirit, I'm not going to see the fulfillment of the lust of the flesh in my life. Why? Because there's no temptation that's come upon me, but that which is obviously common with all men, but with every temptation, He provides a way of escape. And we have not a high priest, as the Word of God tells us in Hebrews, who cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities or our weaknesses, but in all ways tempted, just like we are, yet without sin. There was no fulfillment of those things in His life. And so if I walk in the Spirit, as the Word of God says, then I'm going to have the exact same victory that Jesus Christ said. Why? Because the Word tells me that this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And I'm saved by that same grace through faith that allows me to walk and to be a part of that beloved. So he says in verse 22, jump down a few verses, he said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Verse 23, meekness, temperance, and against such there is no Law And so over the last several weeks, as we've been here looking at uh, verses uh, 16 and 17, you know, we talked about the, the fruit of the Spirit. We've kind of broken these nine fruit or characteristics into three categories. And you may have wrote those down and remember them. If you haven't or if you're just joining us for the first time, I'll give you those things. The first three, obviously, we've covered them is love, joy, and peace. Or those that are primary, primarily Godward. So those are fruits of the Spirit that are Godward. In other words, those are things that demonstrate the fruit of, of my relationship with God. 
And so they're the things that are extended towards him and is a reflection in my life. And so love, obviously, we spent a, a whole week on that, being the means by which we access and experience the other two. And so love provides the access to joy and peace. Folks, listen, you're never going to know joy on any level, biblical joy, without first experiencing the love of God. Period. That's going to be the, the access point. And you're not going to have a peace without the love of God made manifest in your life. Now, you may have a time where the, the things aren't so rocky or you, you feel a calm, but you're never going to know the peace of God as the Word of God says, apart from the love of God. Why? Because love is the defined, is defined by the very, very character of God. And so because it, it's defined by the character of God, it opens up the doorway to all those other attributes in our Godward type relationship. And so the next three, long-suffering, we talked about that last week. Another word uh, we used for that was patience. The gentleness and goodness, or those that primarily concern the Christian and his relationship with other people. Folks, you hear people say all the time, well, uh, you know, especially unbelievers or somebody that's part of some uh, false religion like Hinduism or Buddhism, they'll say, well, I love your Jesus, I just don't like his followers. You hear people say stuff like that. Well, they don't like our Jesus. Period. So they just say that because they think that our Jesus is some peace sign flipping, uh, you know, flip-flop wearing, pot-smoking hippie that is just good with everything. So they really don't love our Jesus. They're, they're especially not going to love him when they're introduced to him in, as it's uh, uh, noted in, in Revelation 19. And they come and see him to, as he's coming to tread out the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. And so, listen, those attributes that we have towards other people are going to be synonymous with our relationship towards God. And so, just as love served as the means for us to walk in joy and peace, that long-suffering, or that patience, as we also called it, provides the vehicle wherein gentleness and goodness can gain entry into our life. Folks, listen, you're never, you're never going to walk in gentleness and goodness apart from long-suffering. It's just not going to happen. If you're not walking in patience, you are not going to walk in gentleness and goodness. So, apart from walking in the fruit of the Spirit of long-suffering or patience, You'll not genuinely be able to demonstrate the fruit of either gentleness or goodness. You may be able to present a counterfeit or imposter substitute that presents the appearance of these things, but it will really, truly be very disingenuous. And so the, the last three were faith, meekness, and temperance. We're obviously not to them, but they're the fruit uh, that really concerns the personal character of a person. But tonight we're going to look at and going to examine the fruit of gentleness and goodness and we want to see how these things express the manifestation of God in our hearts and lives as it relates to our relationship with other people. And you know, some of you folks, and, and probably maybe 45% of the people in here, uh, uh, have a marital relationship. And there's certain characteristics in that relationship that, that make that relationship strong. You know, Pastor Joe, you and Beth have been married, what, 12 years now or something like that? 12 years? He's named, um, yes. How much? 13. 13 years. I don't want to take that year off of you. And there's certain things uh, or characteristics that you'll manifest in that relationship that make you have a better marriage. Maybe early on, just probably like every one of us that have been married, there's certain characteristics that just are not present. And so they make communication difficult. They make relationships difficult. They, they make waking up in the morning and having to look at that person difficult or that person looking at you. Why? Because they're not made manifest. And so the, ma the manifestation of these characteristics work the exact same way. When they're on display, they build the relationship. When they're absent, they work to not only just uh, to become some benign thing, but they actually work to tear down the relationship because of their absence. And so we're going to look at those things. 
Gentleness in the King James Version, and maybe one of your versions says kindness, synonymous words, we'll use those interchangeably tonight. It's the Greek word Christostes, and it connotes a sense of spirit-produced morality. It's a spirit-produced morality that results in an outcome that is presently needed. I want to say that again. It's a spirit-produced morality or quality that results in an outcome that is presently needed. So that gentleness or that kindness is something that comes from the spirit that's needed at that moment. Okay? It's exactly what's needed at that moment. Have you heard somebody say that maybe you were in a situation and they said, man, that was very kind. Maybe you, were, you had a flat tire and you broke down. And somebody pulled up right behind and said, hey, listen, can I help you? Yeah, you could, but man, you know what? I don't have my jack. My jack's broke. Well, I got one. But that's very kind of you. And so in the natural, we see those things manifest themselves. Or if you're in line and the, 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 the elderly person in front of you, they're $2 short on their bill. You say, and they say, oh, I just got to put something back. You say, don't put that back. Let me get that. You pull out $2. They say, that was very kind of you. You met a need at the moment. And so when we walk in the gentleness and kindness of the Spirit, it's the Spirit meeting a need that is needed right now. It's a right now time of manifestation. It's an expression or quality meant to produce something or to influence something towards a place of moral excellence. Man, that person is a hero. The, the shooting in, 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 in Las Vegas, Nevada. You know, people were shot. And it says that other people were getting out of ambulances or off of gurneys and saying, listen, mine's just a flesh wound. Let somebody else that's more serious take my place. They called them heroes. They said, man, that person really demonstrated a great kindness. And so it's something that moves you towards a place of moral excellence. Chances are somebody's going to pin a badge on those folks or they're going to get a, put a medal around their, their neck when they get healed up. And they'll have a big parade and they'll talk about all the moral excellence from saving someone's life. Well, those things are fine and good, but those things are still as a result of or in response to a great tragedy rather than a great morality. And so when we have the goodness and the kindness of God on display, it's because of the goodness and the righteousness of God, which has been shed abroad in our heart through Christ Jesus. And so many times when we think of the term gentleness, we think of something or even someone that's being harmless or non-threatening. You ever thought to yourself, man, that person sure is gentle. You know, what do you, what do you usually mean by that? Well, that person's harmless. We use terms like, he's just a gentle giant. He may be a big guy, but he's just very harmless. He's non-threatening. There's nothing about him that would, that would cause there to be any type of, of natural aversion to him. And, but this misses the point of the fruit of the Spirit of gentleness because it's not something manifest by some overgrown teddy bear with no moral parameters that simply just wants us to just get along. And so gentleness is just not everybody getting along. It's not the kumbaya fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness is so much different. Most perceive that those that have no firm moral standard uh, are gentle. That person really, man, they don't ever push anybody button. Those people don't ever rock the boat. Those people don't ever cause any conflict. They just are a gentle soul. Now, don't you think about that in regards to gentleness and kindness? And, but the Word of God tells us something more different. It doesn't say there's no real position or real opinion that they become a gentle person. But keep in mind that we're talking about the fruit or the manifestation of the Holy Spirit who by nature has come to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. 
See, folks, a house divided against itself cannot stand. God is who He is all the time. There's not these different versions of Him that He just puts on display at various times. Uh, uh, Malachi said that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, he does not change. He's the Lord God. The Word of God says that about Jesus too. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So once we talked about His love, His justice is love. His, his mercy is love. His hell is love. Heaven is love. All of those things radiate from Him because it's a constant. And so we think to ourselves that gentleness and goodness is having no standard or, 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 or no moral turpitude. We've missed the point. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has come to bring conviction. Do you ever think to yourself, man, I'm around that person. Man, every time I'm around that person, man, I just get convicted. You ever had a person like that around you? Maybe you're talking to them, man. Just their fruit or their walk and maybe a particular area of your life. Now, do you ever come around a person that that maybe doesn't really have any, any moral standards and they're just the nicest person and you think, man, man, that person really convicts me towards living righteously. Well, you may think that person's really nice and they're easy to be around and, man, they're, they're sweet and all these other things, but it never brings a conviction morally towards moving towards God. Why? Because, listen, there's a lot of lost people that are very nice people. I've met them. You know, I'm sure Mahatma Gandhi was probably a very pleasant person. I, he was a pacifist. You never had to worry about him punching you in the face on Bourbon Street or, or in Jackson Square, Pastor Joe, or whatever you might be endurance. You're not going to have that. That doesn't mean that he walked in the fruit of the Spirit. That just means he demonstrated a counterfeit that, that really is not built upon the morality of God. It was just built upon really the, the, the humanity of man and man's very best effort to do something that's always going to run out. And so you'll never know biblical kindness or goodness apart from biblical conviction. You'll never know it. You'll never know biblical goodness or kindness outside of biblical conviction. Think about what Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 says. He says this. He said, don't despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering. He said, you've got to know that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Okay, it's the goodness of God that leads to a spiritual detente or a demilitarized zone or a place with no conflict. Folks, listen. Repentance is conflict. Do you hear me? And if it's the goodness of God that brings you to a place of repentance, it is bringing you to a place where you're conflicted. Why? Because repentance by def definition is the moral conviction to think differently. And so if the goodness of God is bringing me to a place where morally I'm convicted, there's going to be a conflict. Because the conflict is, is listen, I can keep doing it my way or me being me. Or I can say, listen, I've got to come to a place of humility and submission towards God and say that, listen, there's nothing salvageable about myself. And I need Christ Jesus to come into my heart and into my life and not just change what I do, but who I am. And so a paraphrase of that would be something like, can't you see and don't you value his goodness and long suffering? And don't you realize that these are the very qualities of God that bring you to a place where you can change the way that you think? It's the goodness of God that brings me to a place that changes the way that I think. Folks, listen, if you're stuck in a certain way of thinking, 
If you're really stuck in some uh, uh, some moral uh, modus operandi that you never advance, you never mature in that place, you're not walking in the goodness of God. You hear me? So if you find yourself stagnant, if you find yourself always just leveling out into a certain place of spiritual immaturity, you are not walking in the fruit of the Spirit of the goodness of God. The goodness of God is constantly going to be that place that's going to take you to a place of growth. It's going to take you to a higher standard. Paul the Apostle, when he said in Philippians, listen, I've been attained everything, but one thing I have learned is I forget those things that are behind. Now listen, Paul the Apostle had some neat things that were behind at the point that he wrote the letter to the church at Philippi. Now he wasn't just talking about when, when he became the per, when he was the persecutor of, of the church and, 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 and seeking letters for, for their imprisonment and execution in, in Damascus. He had a lot of good things that were happening. He said, but listen, I'm forgetting those things that are behind and I'm pressing towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So regardless of where I'm at today, Man, there's a standard and there's a level that I want to get to because I'm pressing. And it's God's goodness that brings us to a place. Let me ask you a question. Are you satisfied where you are in, in, in your prayer life? It's a good one. So why are you stuck there? If you're not satisfied, why are you stuck? If you, I've known people that, listen, they hate their job. They do. They hate their job. Well, how long have you worked there? Ten years. So you don't hate it that much. Yeah, I just kind of get used to it. Folks, if you hate something that bad, you're going to turn away from it. You're not just going to find yourself molding into it. What you're going to do is, listen, I'm going to make some sacrifices. I was talking to somebody just recently about their job. I said, listen, you're going to have to make a sacrifice, and it's going to cost you. And you're going to have to become uncomfortable momentarily. Why? Because what you've done is you've dialed into a certain way of thinking. You, you, you've dialed into a conformity into something. And we're told not to be conformed to the image of this world, obviously, but renewed, uh, but the renewing of our mind uh, to be transformed. And so you're going to have to go through some, maybe you're going to have to go through some lean weeks or even lean months in order to see a change. But if you despise it that much, and you keep going to it. I've got a question, really, if you despise it as much as you say. Maybe you despise the wage. Maybe you despise the days off or, or the benefits. But, man, if I despise something, I'm going to separate myself from it, and I'm going to be willing to pay a price to move towards something greater. Folks, listen, the goodness of God is the one that brings us to that place of conflict in our life. And so if you're not satisfied with your prayer life, get up and do something about it. Are you satisfied where you are in the study of the Word of God? If you're not satisfied, do something about it. Folks, listen, I've committed, literally, I've committed my life to studying the Word. But you know the biggest trap for me is to get satisfied. It is. It's easy. Why? Because, man, I know this stuff. Man, I've only spent 32 years in the Bible uh, as, 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 as an adult preaching the Word. I've only spent that length of time. So it would be easy to just kind of say, well, listen, it comes time to preach or to teach or something. Then I'll get into the Word. You know what? I Man, I could fall out of bed and preach the Word. You know, I was talking to somebody. I can't remember which one of the guys it was the other night. We was talking about just preaching. And I said, the thing about it is, there, there's nothing impressive about preaching if you preach a long time. You can give me a verse here tonight and give me five minutes. I'm going to preach a message that you're going to think I spent hours on. Why? Because I've got a reservoir of experience and knowledge to draw from. That's a dangerous place to be. You may think to yourself, that's a good place to be. And so when I get dissatisfied, you know what I do? I change it. And so listen, man, if I was reading through the Bible once a year, now I'm going to do it every 90 days. And man, if 90 days is easy, you know what, I'll, I'll, just like I can't, I'll read through it three times in 90 days. 
Why? Because I don't want to find myself in a place of comfort. I want to find, find myself in a place of saturation and think to myself that there's some unsearchable riches. And unless I put the peak to the rock, I'm not going to discover those hidden treasures in God's Word. And so my lack of satisfaction is going to cause me and, and provoke me to do something else. So whether it's in word or it's in prayer, are, are you satisfied with the level that you are in, in regards to, to witnessing? Well, engage yourself in that process or, or whatever it may be. Are you satisfied with your giving? You know, we don't ever think about it in, in, in regards to something like that. We start making sacrifices. Man, God, I want your provision. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to act like I got it. I'm going I'm to walk and I'm going to be the cheerful giver. Why? Because that way I don't clog up the reservoir and get stuck in a place of dissatisfaction. I'm going to begin to, to walk in the faithfulness and demonstrate those characteristics that are going to set me up for more of you. And folks, listen, that's what the goodness of God does. It breaks us from a place of satisfaction to a place that we're possessing those things that we desire from God. And so gentleness and kindness they represent a moral quality that is not only instrumental, but essential in bringing us to a place of repentance. Because we talk about repentance, as, and we know it, it's essential to walking with and knowing the Lord Jesus. You're not going to walk and know Jesus without repentance, right? Because it influences the way that we think towards others, because of the way it has changed the way that we think in relationship towards God. I think about other people more, or in a different way, because once I started walking in continuous repentance, folks, I started thinking about God and seeing things from a different perspective. Folks, repentance, the goodness that brings us to that place, causes you to see things from a God's eye view. And you're always going to see things in the eternal when I'm influenced towards that place. And that's what the goodness and the, the, the kindness of God, or the gentleness and the kindness of God brings into my life. It brings me to that place where it's always raising the moral standard. And so what might have been okay last year or 10 years ago, man, it's just not okay now. The things that I would invest in, my time, or I would focus on, and I just, it's just hard for me to get up for those things anymore. Why? Because there's another standard, and it's the gentleness and the kindness of God that is always leading me to that place. You remember why Paul's Galatian letter was written? You ought to know by now. Remember it was written, it really is a corrective measure towards those Judaizers that were tempted to really reintroduce certain aspects of the law into the lives of those who had already accepted the message of justification through faith in Jesus Christ, which is the result of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Repentance from dead works and faith towards God brings us to a place of justification by faith. I'm justified by faith. Why? Because I repent. John, uh, Matthew 3, 1, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Jesus, Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of, he of heaven is at hand. Throughout those uh, first three chapters of Revelation, repent, repent, repent. And so repentance is that word that we see and that directive and that empowerment that we get. But it's always the goodness that's bringing us towards those things. So gentleness and kindness are the fruit of the Spirit that really takes us kind of by the hand like somebody leading a blind person along some unfamiliar path. And so if you don't know how to change your mind, and sometimes we don't. We just know the way we're thinking in regards to the things that God's not right. So how do I change that? Folks, change isn't just simply stopping doing what you're doing. There's no change. That's just passivity. 
But change is actually moving from one thing or one thought in terms of God to another thought or one way of thinking to another way of thinking. So what gentleness and kindness do, they take us by the hand like leading a blind person and we're on an unfamiliar path and they bring us to this place of repentance and thinking differently. Think about Romans 8, 1 through 4 in regards to what I just said. He said there's no condemnation for whom? Those who are in Christ Jesus, who don't walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So here we go, the works of the flesh, in Galatians chapter 5, verses, the fruit of the Spirit. I don't walk in the flesh, but I work in the Spirit. So there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus who don't walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. In verse 2, think about it in regards to the reason the Galatian letter was written. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Or so that no move, or that that or influential principle. And so that's the law. The, the influential principle, the fruit of the Spirit, has freed me from the limitations of the law. Think about that just for a second. It's that influence, that same kindness, that, 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 that same mercy of God that's bringing an influence in my life that's going to bring me towards a place of fulfillment of God's morality in my life. For verse 3, he says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and He condemned sin in the flesh. And so man's adherence to the law was not based upon a moral transformation, but it was just based upon some type of temporal allegiance. And so man was, was, was subject to the law. Why? Because of the consequence. Not because of the relationship. Man, don't do this. Why? Because if you do that, there's a price to be paid. Well, I'm not going to steal. Why? Because, man, stealing, there's some consequence. You're either going to have to pay a lot of stuff back. I'm not going to kill. Why? Because, man, kill me and it costs your life. You'll be stoned. I'm not going to do this. Why? Because, man, there's something to pay. Rather, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I don't think that way anymore. Man, I don't want to hurt somebody. I don't want to take something that doesn't belong to me. I don't want to talk about somebody in that respect. I don't, I don't, I don't want to defile this temple. I don't want to transgress the righteousness of God. Not because I'm concerned with the outcome. But I'm concerned with the relationship. I just love him too much. Folks, the law couldn't produce that. All the law could say is, you've got to have an allegiance because if you don't, something's going to bad happen to you. Rather than I'm going to do it because something good happened to me. Folks, that's why I follow Jesus. Not because I'm, I'm afraid of hell. You hear you, you talk to people on the street, oh, the only thing Christianity does is just creates fear. No, it creates that moral dread of displeasing the one I love. I didn't marry Melanie because I was afraid of Melanie. You hear me? I'm not afraid of my wife. I, I don't do good things for my wife because I'm afraid that I'll wake up and she'll be standing over me with the point of a butcher knife pressed to my throat. I don't think that. But I love her. I have a desire for her. I'm not fearful of my wife. I mean, I do those things. I sacrifice for her because I don't ever want her to be in a situation that she could ever question my love or my loyalty. Folks, that's what the fear of the Lord does in our life as well. And it puts us into a place that I'm not afraid that God's going to kill me. He could. Well, my wife, if I was sound asleep, she could probably do that. If I was awake, maybe not. I could dodge it or something. But listen, if, if, if she had it in her heart and she was a wicked person, she could poison me. She could cut my throat. She could do something and take my life. But you know what? When I lay my head down on my pillow at night, I never think that to myself. It looks the same way in my relationship with God. God has the power. God has the authority to do with Troy Bond whatever he wants to. But I never think for a minute 
And you know what? God's just waiting for me to mess up so he can get me. He's just waiting for me to slip up. Man, so he can put me under something, so he can pound my head. Folks, listen, and even when I have messed up, even when I have done something that I knew wasn't pleasing unto him, I still didn't think to myself, man, I want to repent and get right because, man, he's going to do me in. I think, you know what? I love him too much for that. Why would I want to ever do anything to violate my relationship with God? Folks, that's not bondage. That's freedom. That's the ultimate freedom that's produced through the, the, the gentleness and, and through the kindness of God that's made itself a manifest in our life that brings us to a higher standard of morality. It brings us to another plane of existence that cannot exist outside of God. It says in verse 4 right there in Romans chapter 8, it says that the righteousness of God might be fulfilled in us who mock not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And so the kingdom is accessed through the attraction and transformation associated with our faith in a superior moral position. I want to say that again. That's big. Don't miss this. The kingdom of God is accessed through the attraction and subsequent transformation that is associated with our faith in a superior moral position. That's what it is. That's how I access the kingdom. Behold, the kingdom is at hand. It's within reach. It's going to be here. Then we provide, He provided access to the kingdom through the cross of Calvary. And so what it did, it put on display a superior moral position. And I'm attracted to that. I'm not attracted to those things that are below me. I'm attracted to those things that are above me. If he be lifted up, if he demonstrates a superior moral position, he's going to draw men to him. I am drawn to God because of his goodness, because of his kindness. I want to achieve, I want to know that superior moral compassion and that position through overcoming. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. Or that superior moral position. And by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even unto death. Why? Because at best, death can only separate us through the stranglehold of the temporal circumstance we're in. But what it's going to do is going to usher us into that place of knowing Him. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Death has been swallowed up in victory. Folks, listen, we're not appointed unto death. He's not the God of the, the dead, but He's the God of the living. Why? Because in Him we have life even if His heartbeat stops. My life is not defined by the amount of beats that, that, that happened on an EKG. My life is defined by who I am even when this body rots and deteriorates in the ground. That's why I have life. And that's why I don't have to fear death. Why? Because to be absent from this physical body, this temporal place of existence, is to be in the very presence of that one that holds to a superior moral standard, that place that I desire to be. And so the worst case scenario for me naturally is the best case scenario for me spiritually. Paul the Apostle said, Listen, I'm in a straight betwixt two. I'm in a, between a rock and a hard place. He said, I desire to be with him, but I know being with you and doing what I do as far as an investment is much better for me to live as Christ, but to die as gain. For me to live, I benefit you because of what I can invest in your life. But for me, man, when they stoned me that day and left me for dead, man, I'd have been better off if I'd have had a DNR on my wrist. Do not resuscitate, Jesus. Why? Because I get to be in your presence. Folks, that's what it's bringing us to is the understanding and the desire in a pathway towards that place of superior moral 
position. So the gentleness of God was put on display by the cross of Calvary. This in turn led us to a place where in repentance and not just penance could be experienced. You know what the difference is between repentance and penance? You know what penance is? Penance is something that was popularized through the indulgences of the Catholic Church. And so you're going to do something. And so, listen, repentance says I'm going to change the way I think. Penance says I'm going to do something for you because of the way I acted. Big difference. Folks, religion, at best, they can offer you penance. Okay, what you need to do is you need to pray a certain amount of prayers like this, kind of certain amount of beads around your neck on your rosary. You need to do a certain amount of things. Or and even in our evangelical Christian, what you need to do, brother, is you need to go to a certain amount of counseling or you need to pray a certain amount of times or sing enough worship songs and do all these things and somehow the scales are going to balance in your favor. Folks, listen, it's not me doing something my own works of righteousness at best they're filthy rags but it's I'm going to change the way I think because he's taking me by the hand on a pathway that I'm unfamiliar with because I've never been there before and he's going to bring me to that place and allow me to discover and to know and experience and to manifest a standard of morality and righteousness that apart from him I could never know folks see that's that's what's exciting for me about serving Jesus that I get to flee those things that were, like Joseph being willing to leave that coat of many colors right there in the lap of Potiphar's wife, why in pursuit of righteousness. Ma'am, listen, I can't do that. I don't care what you're promising. I don't care the access. Because there's such a higher moral standard that that's not really even a temptation for me when I walk in the Spirit. Romans 7, 7. Let me back up. The law was designed to expose the works of the flesh. That's what the law was for, to expose the works of the flesh. It was exposed to tell upon you. Tell you, Romans 7, 7 says, had it not been for the law, Paul once again speaking, he said, I would not have known or recognized sin. And so all it did is it caused me to recognize how vile that I was. It never could do anything to, to raise the standard. Next year, I'll see you again on the Day of Atonement. I'll bring my best lamb. I'll bring my, my best bullock. I'll bring the best that I have. And you know what? All it does is just tell me that, listen, this past year, I probably did a lot of bad things. And let me make this sacrifice, and I'll give it to you. I'll give you a weight offering. I'll give you a heave offering. Feast of trumpets. I got all this stuff for you. And so I'll do something. But I'm never going to be anything. Why? Because I'm going to have to show up next week or next year and do it all over again. And so all the law was designed to do was to give me the ability to recognize my sin. And so Jesus came to reveal the reconciliation made by the Spirit. The law came to reveal sin. Jesus came to reveal righteousness. And so I can go back to all of these do's and the, the penance, or I can come led by God's kindness and God's gentleness to a place of not just doing different, but actually being and thinking different. Hebrews 10, 20 says this, it says, by his death, Jesus opened up a new and life-giving way through the veil of his flesh into the most holy place. That was that new and living way. The place that brings us. So, so then gentleness and kindness should always be that which steers us towards Christ and went on display in our lives, obviously through the Holy Spirit. It should also direct us towards, towards others through to him through our lives. And so gentleness and kindness direct us towards Christ and when it's on display in our life, 
it brings other people to Christ as well. Think about Proverbs 15 and 1. Look what it says. It says, a gentle answer. Does what? Turns away wrath. And so just as the kindness or the gentleness of God turns away His wrath from us through repentance and faith toward Jesus, so does a gentle word. A word birthed out of that fruit turns away wrath. Folks, listen, as believers, we don't have an appointment with the wrath of God. We don't. The wrath of God is being stored up for the children, obviously, of disobedience. Why? Because the gentleness and the kindness of God is made manifest in our life through the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit. Just like a kind word or a gentle word keeps wrath off of us, so the fruit of the Spirit made manifest in our life keeps the judgment of God off of us. Folks, do you want to walk under the judgment of God? You know, we look at the word, behold, the time is now, the judgment will begin at the house of the Lord. Does that concern you? Does it concern you that judgment is going to begin at the house of the Lord? Does it concern you that, you know what, the world can do what they want to, but it, the, the church first has got to get judged. Does that concern you? I'm not talking about it as a whole, but does it concern you that God's judgment is first going to begin at the house of the Lord on you? Does it concern you on a personal level? Does it concern you on a personal level? Does it concern you on a personal level that judgment is going to begin at the house of the Lord? That you're going to be first in line for the judgment of God? Well, if it concerns you, there's something wrong with your walk. If it concerns you, you're not pressing in. I'm not talking about arriving. I'm talking about being in a relentless pursuit, being led by the hand along a path that you don't know everything that you're going to have to step over. It's unfamiliar. But you know the gentleness and kindness has got you by the hand. And you're saying to yourself, Lord God, wherever you take me, whatever I have to go through, that listen, I'm not going to think it's strange even concerning those fiery trials as some strange thing has come upon me. But I know what you're doing is you're just exposing those things in my life through those, those trials, through those tribulations. So they will not be able to testify against me when that day that I stand before you. But the covering of the blood of Jesus through his mercy then I'll be qualified for those things. Why? Because I'm walking in the Spirit, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And so it's important not to confuse the fruit of the Spirit of gentleness or kindness with somebody having a sunny disposition. Oh, that person has such a sunny disposition. They, they're such a gentle person. Or they have good manners. Well, there's really good, good manners. That's a mannerly person. They, they really are, are spiritual. Or what about somebody, like I said, that's passive? Oops. You know, there's nothing passive about the Holy Spirit. He moved upon the face of the water. He does, he's actually, he's the paraclete. He's the one that's there for us. He's the one that's interceding on our behalf. He's the one that's speaking and moving and operating. There's nothing passive about him or just being a nicer, non-confrontational type of person. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. So again, Spirit-produced moral quality that results in an outcome that is presently needed. Okay? What is that spirit-produced moral quality that you presently need? Well, it's going to be access to the spirit of gentleness and of kindness. And so it's an expression or quality meant to produce something or to influence someone towards that place of moral excellence. So it's either, I'm going to serve God and I want to do it big, or I don't want to do it at all. Do you want to serve him big? Do 
You want to be the one that stands before God one day and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You want to be the person that, that is striving for excellence. I'm either going to go big or I'm not going to go at all. God, if I'm going to serve you, I want to serve you and I want to put my hand to the plow. I don't want to look back. Man, I want to give you 110% of my whole heart and my life. Is that your desire? Folks, because if it's not your desire, what you're going to find yourself doing is slowly falling to the back of the pack and you're just going to think to yourself, man, as long as I can get the participation trophy like an upper basketball, I'm okay. At least I got a trophy. Well, the trophy just stands as a testimony about your lack of really pressing and competing. They all may run the race, but only one obtains the prize. When you run that race, you need to be running it like the one that desires to obtain that prize and that prize of the high calling that once again that high moral standard of excellence and that only comes by diligently seeking after him he's a rewarder of those who the prize goes to those that diligently seek after him and so his kindness led me straight to repentance and it keeps me there it takes me by the hand it leads me to repentance. That's his kindness, his goodness. It leads me to repentance. And it holds me there. You think about repentance like that? It's a place that I stay. It's not a drag race. And that's the problem. Most people think that repentance is, is, is a response to sin. It's a response to righteousness. And so repentance looks like, man, I really feel bad about what I did. And so let me line up and I'm going to see the, the racetrack uh, Christmas tree lights here. Dun, 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 dun. Pedal to the metal, quarter mile. Man, I'm crying, I'm boohooing, I'm at an altar. And my hair's blowing back. Man, I'm breaking all kinds of records. And I get to the end. Man, that was a great experience. Now I'm going to sit in the stands. Folks, that's not repentance. It's not I said I'm sorry, and so I feel better about my sin. No, it's like that Indianapolis 500. I just keep going around that same track. Over and over and over again. And in such a long race, I've got to stop and I've got to refuel. I've got to change tires. I just keep going around and around. And it's all day long. I keep passing the same stuff over and over again. And what am I trying to do? I'm just trying to find my groove. I'm trying to find that place where I become more effective. I'm drafting off of wisdom. I'm coming in behind and, I, and I'm passing on those things that would obstruct my pursuit. And I'm pressing towards the prize. Folks, that's what repentance looks like. It's not your response to sin so you can feel better. It's my response to righteousness so I can reach that place and that goal that he set before us. Folks, the unfortunate reality, and I'll, I'll just tell you straight up, that's not the goal that's presented to the church. And I'm not talking about this church, I'm talking about the church at large. The church at large has become the great church of the participation trophy. Folks, listen, I believe that Jesus died for more than we just to participate. Do you hear me? I believe that he died and rose again and he poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost, not just for me to participate, but for me to demonstrate those qualities in which he did. And that's what the kindness of God has done. It's led me to that place it holds me there. Okay, son, keep thinking differently. Keep thinking differently. Well, how you thought last week was okay where you were last week. 
but it's not going to be okay this week. Where you were, young men, as single young men, was okay as single young men. But as married men, you have to think different. Why? Because just as my spirit and my law exposes those things, that relationship is going to expose those things. And so you're going to need it, guys, that are betrothed or newly married. You're going to need the demonstration of those characteristics in your life. And the only way you're going to see them manifested in regards to other people, that's what I told you, these things are, and how we relate to other people is if we get it in our relationship to God. Verse 22 of our text continues, it's the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. Goodness is an interesting word here. It's a Greek word, and I'll just kind of say it. Agathosine. Agathosine. Now listen to what it means. And it means the quality or condition of a man who is ruled by and who lives for that which is good. Agathosine. It's the quality or condition of a man or a woman, of mankind, who is ruled by and who lives for that which is good, specifically that which is of a high moral quality or of worth. And so, the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Now, here we are to this next fruit of the Spirit, which is much like it, which is goodness. And so we have the, the kindness of God, then we have the, the goodness of God. They're very comparable. So, one leads us to that place of discovering it, and one brings us to that place of revealing it or demonstrating it. You know what's interesting about that word? Greek scholars, of which I'm not, either religious or secular, this says that this word, that, that word right there seems to be a completely biblical term because it is not discovered or seen in any Greek writings other than the Bible. Isn't that interesting? That the fruit of the Spirit is at Gothasim, but it's only found there. Mark 10, verses 17 through 18. Check this out. It really demonstrates exactly what I'm talking about here, why it's probably not found anywhere else. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and a, a young man came running to him and knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you remember what Jesus said? Why do you call me good? And Jesus said, Only God is truly good. So why do you call me a ghost of me? How is it that you recognize that the only way that anyone can possess this quality of being ruled by desire and commitment towards the higher moral standards of God is through God? How is it, young man, that you recognize that I am the only way that you can achieve that desire that you have in your heart? That's what the young man asked him. Now, we just read it. We think about being good. Why do you call me good? Well, we think of good as something that's yummy. We think it's something that's pleasant. But when that young man said, he called him good teacher. The highest form of righteousness. The highest level of morality. Good Why do you say that that's me? Because you understand that there's no place. That word's not even used in your common language. It can only be applied to the very character and nature of God. Romans 7.18 says this, Paul once again speaking to someone, speaking as someone that was bound by the law. He says, For I know that in me, that is my flesh, dwelt no good thing. For to will is always present with me, but how to perform that which is 
good or that which is a quality or condition of, of somebody that's ruled by and who lives for that which is good, specifically of a high moral standard of God, I can't find it. I was circumcised the right amount of days after I was born. I belonged to a good tribe. I, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was zealous in, in, in what I did. All of the things I did, but I still couldn't find that place of moral excellence. He says, listen, when we came to the law, man, I was perfect. But even in doing all those things and dotting the I's and crossing the T's, I could not find that place. He said, my flesh, or the works of my flesh, as we see in, in, in Ephesians 5, 20, uh, 5, uh, 5, uh, chapter 5, he said, my flesh is incapable of producing the agathosine. I can't produce that in my flesh through my own efforts. And so the goodness spoke of here is much more than just doing things. It's a way of seeing things. I have a perspective on things because of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Ephesians chapter 4, 30 and 32 says this. 32, 32 says this. It says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Do you ever think of yourself, choices you make, Things you do, things you say or think that you would bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. Folks, that's the fear of the Lord. If I have the fear of the Lord, I don't want to do anything that's going to bring sorrow to Him. It says, remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteed that you will be saved in the day of redemption. So He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. He says, be good to one another. There's a, there's a goodness. Be compassionate towards one another. Demonstrate forgiveness towards one another. You've got to demonstrate. It's not just something that, that I see or, or, or something that I just do. It's something that is, is seen not just by me, but it's seen through me. And so just as the gentleness of God was on display at the cross that led me into repentance... So the goodness of God is on display at the cross because it demonstrates to mankind the manner in which we are to forgive one another. So if I'm walking in the goodness of God, it tells me how I'm supposed to forgive other people. Are you a forgiving person? Do you forgive like he did? Because that's what the fruit of the Spirit allows you to do. It allows you to have the capacity towards forgiveness. That's what the goodness of God does to the degree that he does. So his words... Luke 23, 34, said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Do you have that capacity? Do you have that capacity to forgive? Well, because with whatever measure you measure out, it's going to be measured to you. So, be not deceived. God's not mocked whatever you sow, you're going to reap. But so, my capacity towards forgiveness is going to be measured back to me on the forgiveness that I receive. Forgive those that trespass against me so you can forgive me. Because if I don't forgive them the way that you forgive me, I can't be forgiven. Folks, you show me a person that walks in offenses or walks in keeping a record of wrong or can't readily forgive or holds past transgressions above the heads of others, I'm going to show you a person that is devoid of the goodness of God by way of the fruit of the Spirit. Period. That's it. You show me a person that, man, it's like 
don't you ever forget anything? Well, the problem is there's not walking in the Spirit. They're walking in the flesh. Because when I walk in the Spirit, it becomes the fruit of the Spirit, the goodness of God. It doesn't say, well, Christina, I know what you're doing now. It's really nice. But I just cannot get past that. I just can't get past, you hurt my feelings. Or Caleb, you know what? Man, you just disappointed me. Well, that doesn't say something about you. That says something about my heart. Because if I've been led and I'm walking in the Spirit, it's brought me to that place of putting His life and His Spirit. The Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The crucified life walks in the Spirit. Why? If the same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you. It'll quicken you. It'll make you alive. It'll make alive your capacity to do things that your flesh doesn't want to do. Folks, that's what we've got to walk in. That's the demonstration of the qualities. That's the things that cause heaven to take notice. That's the things that aren't going to make you fearful of judgment beginning in the house of the Lord. Why? Because you've allowed him to take you by the hand and lead you to that place and keep you in that place. Amen. Father, we just thank you, Lord God, for what you've made available for us, Lord God. Father, apart from Jesus, we can't walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Apart from, from, from your son, Jesus, Lord God, we can't demonstrate those qualities. And so, Father, we, we repent. And we keep repenting, Lord God. We keep changing the way that we think, Lord God. Because we know in our flesh, Lord God, dwells nothing good. But Father, we thank you that we don't have to walk according to the flesh. We can walk in the Spirit. So Father, we're asking you in the name of Jesus, Lord God, to cause us to press, to cause us to demonstrate, Lord God, to us, cause us, Lord God, to, to communicate, Lord God, those things that are pleasing unto you, Lord God, in your name. We thank you for it. And Father, we ask